Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. All right, hey everybody. Welcome aboard another week of Securing Bridges. Yes, I'm Melissa Miller, your host, and here we are once again, second week, second episode, super excited. Securing Bridges, this is where we're talking to security leaders about how we connect those concepts of cybersecurity with the rest of the business who sometimes doesn't really want to hear from us or maybe they just don't get it. So we're talking with leaders every week about how do we get better? How can we have those conversations and make them meaningful so that we can connect with the business? We can build those bridges between our security teams and the business line. So we've got another amazing guest. Last week, we had Keon Williams. If you missed that episode, I encourage you, go out there, find it on YouTube, and you can watch the replay or you can check out the podcast version if you go to itspmagazine.com. But this week, we have another amazing guest, somebody you I know you've probably heard of before, We've got Accidental CISO here with us. Hey, AC, how are you? I am doing very well. How are you doing? I am doing great. So just in case, there might be like one, maybe two people out there who haven't somehow heard of you yet. Tell us just a little bit about yourself, kind of your journey in cybersecurity. Yeah. Um, So as the handle would apply, uh, or imply, uh, I accidentally became the CISO, something that uh, in my travels and based on the number of people that I have talked to in the last few years, uh, happens on a pretty regular basis, actually, <laughs> um, in, in organizations, folks uh, who are, are doing IT or security adjacent work, uh, maybe product work, and uh, they end up having the security leadership role thrust upon them um, for better or for worse. Uh, for me, I think, you know, when, when the, the first, uh, first time I uh, realized that, that that's what was happening and I asked who the security officer was and they told me that it was me, there was some gnashing of teeth and swearing and that sort of thing, but I've, I've, I've grown to embrace it. Um, spent a lot of my career in, uh, IT, but it was in in IT and networking and security industry and and that sort of thing. And I was in a lot of orgs where I was the only person as well, so I had to wear all of the hats. Uh, so it really wasn't until I, I accidentally became the C uh, CISO and had to come to terms with that uh, that I really realized that you know what I, I've. I've been a security person all along because that was the approach I took to things when I was doing my IT work and and that sort of thing. Uh, so yeah, it's been it's been a, a wild ride through a lot of of, of small businesses and uh, you know through some very large companies in the process and some spinoffs and startups and spin downs and <laughs> you know what have you along the way. <laughs> sure. 
So tell us a little bit more. I, I, we won't belabor it too much, but I got to know, how does one get in a situation where you're asking who is the CISO and then they're yeah. pointing the finger back at you? Exactly. Uh, so in, in my case, uh, I, I actually had left a prior company because I could I could see the writing on the wall that I was going to be owning security in a very large company that was rapidly growing, quickly approaching about a thousand people um, in the security space. And as such, you know, the company was going to be a target uh, as well. And I realized, like, I don't know if I really want to own security here. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to run IT and do what I thought was my background and my wheelhouse of DevOps and IT infrastructure and operations and support and all of that. And uh, I left that company to go to a, a small startup and was just going to be uh, uh, helping on, on the product team with DevOps and kind of leaving a leadership, senior leadership role and kind of go to be mostly an individual contributor to kind of take a break from from that stress. And it turned out pretty quickly that uh, the the questionnaires that they would get from customers and and other things like nobody really knew how to answer them, and the the language and the way things were worded were difficult. And I was able to parse those and translate those into English of this is what they're asking and why it's important. And very very quickly, um, I think within two to three weeks of of my starting. Uh, uh, an email went out from the chief operations officer to the entire company that says, go to AC, he's security guy. Um, you know, any security questions? And, and I wasn't the security officer yet at that point, but it was shortly after that, that uh, we needed to do some security audit uh, stuff for customers. They were asking for SOC 2 reports. They wanted us to get high trust certification because we were in the healthcare industry. And, uh, you know, so getting, going through the process of, doing those assessments and preparing for SOC 2 and high trust, one of the questions that came up uh, during those was, you know, we had to name a security officer. We had to document this in our security program. And so as I'm pulling all this documentation together and making sure we have policies and procedures and a written information security plan, I had to ask who the, the security officer was and uh, was told, no, that that's you, buddy. <laughs> uh, sorry about your luck. Uh, so that was uh, kind of how it happened. And it, it happens a lot, actually, as organizations start to document their security programs. Somebody needs to be named as responsible. And just in the, the last couple of years, as I've been helping people build their security programs uh, as sort of a, a VC, so I've had conversations uh, three, three, four, five times just in the last year, uh, maybe a little more than a year with different clients where the conversation came up when they had to decide like, who's this going to be in the org and and who should it be based on accountability structures and the way the org structured and that kind of stuff. So it's, it's almost alarming quite honestly, when you, you, you say that mm -hmm. because it's, you, you start to realize that so many organizations don't even think about the, the CISO as a role that they need until suddenly something's forcing their hand. Yep. And I think that's a story we see quite often in you know certainly smaller and medium-sized businesses like you discussed, usually by the time you get to a large enterprise organization, usually they've kind of figured that out. But so I, when you get in those conversations, what do they typically sound like? I mean, is it 
legitimately like the all they know is they've got to fill in a, a blank on a form somewhere to name somebody or do you feel like more of them come to the table kind of understanding what the role is and they know they need to fill it? Yeah, usually for me, it it comes up as we're doing sort of a readiness assessment where we're, you know, they're giving me the narrative of all of their controls and describing what they do have in place within their security program. Uh, you know, and one of the questions I just straight up have to ask them is, you know, who who is named as the security officer? Is somebody named as security officer? Who is that that person? in your you know documentation and almost every time it happens um somebody's not named um uh, sometimes it's named by a role but that role may not actually be filled in the org chart uh, or whatever maybe it'll be referred to as the security officer but then in the org chart it's not actually you know <laughs> pinned on somebody so we have to take a look at that and uh, and help them there and it it tends to happen mostly in smaller orgs there, there's a certain level of scale as the org grows where you know having this more formal organizational structure separation of roles and responsibilities and stuff starts to happen and you and you just kind of by design end up with somebody owning security as the organization matures and grows but in in small orgs you know 20 50 maybe up to 100 people or so uh, especially like you, you don't really see that and there's there's a lot of separation of roles and responsibilities, especially on the smaller end of that is is very difficult. So people wear the hat and maybe don't even realize they're wearing it. Or a lot of times the organization didn't realize it was a hat that needed to be worn. When you have those conversations, wh what kind of justification do you give them? I mean, is it, cause I assume, and maybe, maybe wrongly, I don't know, but I would assume probably try to give them a little bit more than, oh, it's, you know, something that's required to, you know, it's a spot you need to fill on your sock too. Mm -hmm. I mean, how do you, how do you actually tell say a, a CFO or a COO or maybe a CIO, Hey, you, you've got to appoint somebody as your security officer and here's the value you get from that. Yep. So a lot of times they're, they're not looking, they're not engaging with, with, somebody like me to come in and, and help them build a program if they don't have some sort of business driver already. And for a lot of these customers, that business driver is, um, you know, they, they've got some sort of regulatory compliance, some new legislation or something that they've, you know, that they either just realized they need to comply with or that was just signed into law or something they're gonna have to comply with. Um, sales friction. Is another one they're, you know they're they're losing sales or their sales cycles are really long because they don't have a SOC two report they don't have the documentation they don't have the good answers in their their questionnaires uh, that that they're doing and it's and it's either costing them sales or extending the time that it takes them to 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 make the sales and the sales cycle is another uh, important uh, important piece of that, you know, nobody's really doing it, you know, for security's sake. Uh, some some orgs have had an incident, you know, uh, ransomware, whatever, and now they're realizing, like, hey, we need to, you know, firm up our, our security program in the process because of that. But there's usually that that business driver in the first place that that makes them say, hey, we need to build a security program in the first place, like trying to convince somebody that security is important if they don't already feel that it's important is is kind of a difficult thing to do. Uh, so by, you know, by the time I'm helping them, it's 
<laughs> they, they've already kind of come across that hurdle. There, there's a business driver of some sort. And as they're starting to understand, uh, one of the, the, the things that I make sure that I highlight uh, as, I'm, as I'm talking to them is how broad security is. Because there's usually that idea that it's just, it's just IT. It's just mm -hmm. IT security, all technical. And they don't realize how security is going to transcend the entire organization. And it's going to transcend all of your business processes and everything from the way you onboard and, and hire people to the way you do sales and deliver your, your product, whether it's a service or a physical product, the way you manage your supply chain, whether it's a digital supply chain or a physical supply chain, all of those things, like it's, it's going to impact everything in the way you, you operate the business. Um, and I, and I try to position, I don't like, I, I hate the FUD approach. So, so I try to position it as well from a, an enablement uh, perspective on this. And, and they, they, they can start to understand that when they realize kind of how broad this is and that this really is about enabling the business that, you know, we really do need somebody who's going to be accountable for this because this isn't going to be successful if we don't have somebody who is accountable uh, to help build the program, and and I and I also help that person as they're they're coming to grips with the fact that oh my god I'm going to be the security officer that that doesn't mean they have to own everything, you know they're going to herd the cats they're going to guide the company and, and kind of be that trusted advisor internally but HR still has to own the onboarding process, IT still has to own the part of the process where you're completing onboarding and assigning. Access sales still has to own their sales. Ops still has to own the supply chain stuff and manufacturing, or you know, depending on what type of business it is, and that you know you're there to help them, but you're not gonna, you can't just own everything end to end. You know, they're they're gonna have to to step up, and and that uh, seems to be something that a lot of them hadn't really given much thought to. So there's a ongoing and this goes back almost as long as i can remember in my security career this sort of debate over what is the most appropriate organizational structure where should the CISO report to and do you do you end up landing in those conversations and what do you in your opinion you know where should that CISO align and why yeah sometimes it does there's usually not that much uh, I don't want to say flexibility because especially in small businesses, there's a lot of flexibility and that's part of the challenge to it, but it's usually pretty clear in the org who that person needs to be. And then from there, they have to decide it, you know, whether or not reporting structures should change. A lot of times, you know, they don't in the purpose of building the security program initially that, you know, usually going to be a, a down the road thing. Uh, a lot of times it's, it's, you know, IT folks that end up kind of getting saddled with it because they don't have a dedicated security person. All of a sudden the IT people are realizing like a, a large part of actually implementing the security controls comes, you know, ends up being done through IT. So, you know, it tends to be somebody in IT that we're working with during the, uh, the preparation phase that ends up being that, <laughs> that person that gets picked on and draws a short straw. 
This is sounding so brutal. <laughs> right. like, look out, run the other way fast. It, um, it is brutal. As as the org grows, like that's when you can start looking at should security be a dedicated org? Should it be under a CIO, CFO, CEO, you know, the, those types of things. Uh, but those, you know, but in, in smaller orgs, uh, you know, that, that they're typically very flat, yeah. uh, you know, so you, there's, there's not a whole lot of <laughs> different places for them to, to, to report. And, uh, you know, it, as you get to, you know, maybe orgs of, you know, 50, 60, 70 people, you start having those organizational structures and teams and managers of managers start to develop, uh, in the org. But, uh, you know, if you're in the, 20 to 50 person company range, they're still usually pretty flat and uh, not a, not a lot of, a lot of question about where should the person report. And it's more tactical about how do we just, how do we get things done? So you mentioned before a word that comes up more and more, I feel like with CISOs these days, but it, there's a lot of different thoughts on what it actually means. And that is, you said that word enablement. And, you know, on Securing Bridges, we're all about how do we connect the business and security? And a lot of that message seems to center quite often around enablement of the business. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you when I say enablement? How, how does security actually enable the business? Yeah, so there's, there's a few ways that, that I that I look at it. Uh, one is looking at the organization, understanding how the organization works and makes money, but looking at the needs of the other teams. How can security support them and help them solve their problems and do it safely? Rather than saying, hey, we have this security risk, a security problem, we need to implement X, Y, and Z controls, and you just have to do these things and do them differently. Coming, you know, getting to know those the, those teams and and establishing that bridge, you know, that you were discussing, uh, you know, earlier as you were opening the show, like that relationship to them to understand that you're there to help them, you're there to help them fix their pain points. Like that is one of the biggest ways to enable uh, the business to me, uh, because then you can design those security controls in concert with you know, IT and, and the folks that need to build the tooling and get the tooling in place and the process owners so that the, the right way, the official way to do it is also the secure way and it's the streamlined way. And if you can bring in automation and, and, and tooling into that mix and do it well, uh, it helps everybody be more efficient. Uh, but the other thing that I like to explain when it comes to security as an enabler for the business is, at the end of the day, like a, a security risk or, or something where, where a process breaks down and you have a, a some sort of a security vulnerability where somebody can make a mistake, like at the end of the day, it's a it's a process quality issue. So again, if you're focusing on the the quality of those processes to know where to look to put your attention to help streamline and, and fix things, you can look at security almost as a as a form of operational excellence rather than just risk mitigation. And when, when you can start to look at security as a way to ensure operational excellence for the business, like now you're looking at how do we 
reduce overhead and and friction and get into some of the other i know there's you know people have strong feelings of six sigma and some of these other things that have been done in the manufacturing space <laughs> for a long time because they get implemented poorly and we face the same thing in security people implement security controls poorly and security gets a bad name same thing for six sigma and 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 the continuous improvement and and all those things you know deming and and stuff that has been the basis of devops uh, if they're implemented poorly, they're, they're going to give you a bad name. But at the same time, if you do them well, I mean, they can be game changers for a company in the market. And you touched on one of the things that's so important to me. Um, I, that is that idea of how do we move beyond just conversations about risk and bring something more meaningful. And so Frank brings up a really good question here. As we think about it, and you know, he mentions it in terms of data governance and just overall, mm -hmm. what does common language, how does that play into this? That seems like that would be something really yeah. important that we're all, you know, we're speaking to the business and language they understand rather than, of course, coming to them with, you know, the, 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 the security ease, if you will. Yeah, and not even like if I back up and and sorry Frank because I'm I'm going to dodge your question slightly by by going up a a level here, uh, governance in general um, is kind of that first step to get people aligned. If if your organization doesn't understand what kind of compliance regulations and things that it it needs to comply with in the first place, like that's kind of one of the first places you need to start is understanding what really are our requirements? Like, do we have compliance requirements by law? Not just that we're going to choose for ourselves strategically, but like by law. And by by starting to pull that stuff together and, and understanding and building kind of your custom framework, you know, for, for the organization, um, you know, you may base most of your program on NIST or ISO 27001 or something, but if there's other things you need to comply with and you and the, the the organization recognizes that you can layer those things in but getting that buy in at a high level that this is the framework that we're going to use this is the aggregate composite framework that represents all of our responsibilities legally you know whatever from a compliance standpoint as well as the ones that we have chosen to strategically align to to build this like having that governance model in place uh, it makes it easier for other folks then in the organizations to do their jobs because it provides that framework for decision making. Uh, so, the, and this is this is re governance is. <laughs> and I, I may geek out about this a little bit. So if I if I go too far down this rabbit hole, you know, stop me and grab me by the tail and pull me back out. Uh, when <laughs> when when you've got that 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 framework you can now take and create policies for the company that are well aligned with your strategy and this agreed upon like these are our requirements so you kind of get that buy-in already from senior leadership and if you make those policies in clear language that people can support now they can be reference documentation for other folks in the org as the org's growing so many business people say hire great people and then get out of their way but if you don't have a good framework for decision making in place, then 
they have nothing to base their decisions on as you get out of their way. And the last thing you want to do is have every decision be an exercise in judgment. And so where this really can come out, if you've got a software development team that's bringing a new technology into their stack, for instance, if you have your, your, your governance in place and, and your standards are established and everything is aligned and well-documented, the, the team that's doing this now, they know what questions to ask. They know what the, what the vendor needs to do, what they need to offer, all of that stuff. They know how to document the, the outcome and score and how the vendor stacks up against that in a way that it can be documented clearly and quickly and so that they can make those decisions at a lower level in the company and they don't have to escalate back up the chain. And then executives just have to look at, you know, they can go and verify the decisions. Was the decision made the way that we said we were going to make it? Because that's ultimately where, where governance kind of comes down to is it's deciding how you're going to decide. So it's, it's, a, it's a huge, huge thing in businesses that want to move fast and, and do it safely. If, if you've got to reinvent the wheel for everything you do, it may feel like you're moving fast, but you're not. You know, so having that governance in place and, and you know, for, for Frank's question about data governance, uh, if, if you've got your rules and your, your, your policies, your standards all set and people know exactly what they need to do, they know how the data is to be classified, they know how to handle different things, it's clearly laid out, the process is there, the tools are there, Nobody has to make a decision. You don't have that cognitive load of making a decision every step of the way. You can train people on how to do this stuff from a, a role-based training perspective as, as you're onboarding people or as you're continuing to do, you know, development, continuing education development, and that sort of thing within within the org. Like you, you they know what to do, they know what's expected of them, they know what's expected of each other. Like, so, you know, it, it's kind of that, that if you think about it, if you had a, a sports team or for those that are, you know, in, into sports, if you have an orchestra who is, is going to play a concert or, or they get a game on, you know, a, a Sunday and they're going to get together in the morning before the game and rehearse. And that's the only time they're going to practice before they go on, on stage or on the field versus another team that actually practices regularly and does the fundamentals like which team's going to perform better? Obviously, the team that has practiced the fundamentals, they know what they're expecting. They know what they can rely on the other team members for. Uh, you know, they and it, it it just it, it baffles me to to see uh, and, it, and it's huge in startups, but to to see leadership feel like oh well we you know we don't want to we don't want to document things that'll just slow us down when it's it's completely the opposite. And I've literally had had executives tell me that that oh you know we we, we don't want to document anything because it's just it's just going to slow us down and and they uh, they they feel like they're moving fast but it, you know at the end of the day they could be moving a lot faster and a lot more efficient if their people could make decisions you know at, as low a level in the org as possible and they know exactly what to do and it's easy to to document and all the leadership has to do is say yep looks good, rubber stamp it, instead of having to have it go all the way up the chain every time for an exercise in judgment. So on the flip side then, is there is there a point where we become too reliant on governance to drive the security program? And I mean, we, we've 
all probably talked about the idea of checkbox compliance and, you know, where we've got standards or things, you know, I know that's something that comes up a lot when we talk about like PCI, for instance, for longest time, that was how people felt was that we were just, you know, checking boxes off of something to, to, you know, hit our compliance. Where, where does that border happen? How do we stay out of that mode and really make sure that, our governance program and our compliance drives actual change in the organization. Yep. Uh, you know, we were talking on a, a another conversation recently on, on a podcast episode about, about governance. And one of the things that I, I mentioned is a security exception process. You know, the security ex- exception process or program as a subcomponent of your information security program is a really critical piece of that because it, it can help you get away from, well, we just have to do it this way because this is this is the standard and how, we're, how we've said we're gonna do it and the framework says we have to do it this way. It gives you a way to have and document your standards, have your, your, your program be a known quantity, but then at the same time, when you need to have a pressure relief to add flexibility to the program, you can, you can have that process where somebody is able to submit an exception request and it can be reviewed and the the, the risks associated with it can be can be analyzed and, and the business can make a decision. Yep, we're willing to take that additional risk. In this one case, we're going to grant that exception. It gets documented, it gets approved. And, uh, you know, now that that exception is enshrined kind of in the security program as well through the exception management program. And by by doing it that way, then those exceptions can be reviewed on whatever periodic basis, whether that's you know quarterly or annually or you know whatever it is you need to to review. And maybe each exception is is different. Maybe you put one in and you're going to review it every six months, and another one's every year, and another one's every month, based on what's appropriate. But it, it gives you a lot of flexibility because um, the the frameworks that we we work with, like they tell you sort of the the capabilities that you need to have. I, I guess you know they but they don't necessarily exactly tell you how to do them. Uh, you know, multi-factor authentication is, is one that comes up uh, in, in almost all these frameworks at this point is, you know, having multi-factor authentication, like there, there's all sorts of different ways that, that you can do that within your org and to figure out the best way for, for your organization uh, in a way that, that makes sense and doesn't impede progress and still addresses those risks. And and if you have a certain standard and then say, but, you know, for this particular system, maybe MFA is not required because of the way that particular system works or how it's isolated or, or something like that. Maybe it's a lobby kiosk that's made to be public. Well, of course, you're not going to put MFA on it. So you do a, you know, a, a exception for that one thing and, you know, you're, you're off to go. So, um, you know, I, I want to tie in bridges here because I was told we were going to talk about bridges and I prepared for this and and then I, I was disappointed. Um, you know, d- different types of bridges uh, are, are going to perform differently. You know, the concrete bridges of a highway overpass are very, very inflexible. They're very strong, but they're very inflexible. And then you have a suspension bridge, which is flexible and, you know, can can move in the wind, but it's not as strong. And there's this balance that you have to play, whereas suspension bridge, though, requires a little more maintenance to get that flexibility. You're going to have the same thing in your security program. To to be flexible and work with the business, you're going to have to accept the fact that maybe there's going to be a little more maintenance that goes along with your program, with 
exceptions and and the way things are are defined and the way your processes are defined, uh, as well as the the way your policies and and control standards are written. You know, maybe you've got maybe you have to split control standards for a product different than internal IT or something because product is operated in a totally different environment or in a totally different way, you know, with DevOps and infrastructure as code, whereas your internal IT is still physical infrastructure or something like, just because of those differences that, you know, there's a little more maintenance because you need to be flexible. Well done bringing the bridges into it. I like that. <laughs> um, very different metaphor than I was expecting to say the least, but you know, I, and I think that's crucial because what you just described to me really connects with how we mature a security program, right? I, the way I've always looked at it, if there's like a spectrum of you know, your maturity in your mature in your security program, it's you know, on the far end you got basically nothing, right? It doesn't exist, and you kind of become more ad hoc. Then you kind of get in this mode where you're really reactionary. And that's where I feel like you know, a lot of it gets driven by yeah. compliance, especially if you're a highly regulated organization. You know, if you've you've got to meet PCI, HIPAA, or you know something, you know, it's FFIEC if you're at a bank, or you know if you're like me in the uh, in the market space, you know, you're, you're dealing with the SEC. When we're dealing with those, that becomes like that next thing, and it's still kind of a crutch. And what you just described, I think, is where we want to move to. And that is where now suddenly our cybersecurity program becomes more proactive and our governance is maybe driving a yeah. us to do things, as you said earlier, kind of down that, that path of least friction or that paved road that ends up being the most secure. And then there's like, I feel like there's one more step after that. And that's really where we become innovative in security. And I'm curious your thoughts on that. Where, where is it that security can create innovation that propels the organization forward from a business perspective? Yeah, it comes back to listening to you, listening to your users. Uh, listening to the stakeholders and and the the folks that are actually relying on the systems and the processes to to do the work for the company to to make money. Um, one of the things that I, I've I've loved about uh, some of what Wolf Gorlick has has tweeted is you know compassion for users is just so important. And I think that's really the area that we have to innovate where we get away from the older school uh, of thinking with security where you put up locks and gates and and just you know boundaries and and protection uh and that kind of stuff and and focus more on like what really is their need what are they trying to do you know what what would you know what is causing them to go outside of the established norm you know because creative users uh, one of the favorite wolf quotes in this is that, that creative users are dangerous users or something like that that you know if if, if your security controls are pushing people to get creative to get their work done like you're doing something horribly wrong and it's it's going to come back and 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 bite you because they're going to work to get creative to work around the things that you're trying to do so if you can work with them like that's where the real i think innovation comes in is is understanding what their goals are uh, what their needs are and how does how do you meet their needs and in doing that you you have to work with 
the IT group. You have to work with the HR group. You have to work with finance or other people because every step of the way, you, maybe you've got IT tools or maybe you've got training that needs to happen. Maybe you've got um, I don't know, some sort of procurement thing and a, a, a finance process that needs to get adjusted. Like there's, there's all these different processes across the entire company that are constantly intersecting. And, uh, you know, it, look as a security practitioner, looking at that entire organization as a system and uh, uh, being able to, to identify where those intersections happen and where friction is happening as a result and being able to try and, and smooth those over. Like that's, that's the real room for innovation I think that, that we have now, and it's all based around user experience. I mean, even even the tools that we trumpet and say, you know, hey, we've got this this great tool, this great solution, you know, go use a password manager. I'm sorry, but usability on password manager sucks. Like I, I use, you know, I use a password manager. I couldn't live without it. I don't know hardly any of my passwords. Like I, I do what I'm supposed to do. I, I keep everything in it. They're they're long, they're random, they're, you know, I'm using MFA and all that kind of stuff. But I gotta be honest, the, the experience of it is terrible, especially when I go to my iPad and I'm trying to sign up for something from my iPad and trying to use the auto filling and getting a new password generated and created and stuff from my iPad instead. Like it's it's pretty decent from a web browser on a PC. But like people aren't just using web browsers on PCs anymore. They're using iPads. Like, I mean, when I'm not working, working, my iPad kind of has become my personal computer. You know, our phones are our personal computers. But when you when it's a pain in the butt to get a new pat, just get a new pat random password generated and created and populated as you're signing up for a new account for something, like if a professional like me is going, this sucks. Like, imagine how my mom feels you know, or your grandma or, you know, whoever, you know, whatever non-technical, you know, close relative loved one you have, like that compassion is really important for us to figure out how do we, how do we do these things? So looking at it is, you know, yeah, we give you these tools, but then also single sign-on. So you don't have to log in every single place and, and smooth that up and conditional access so that maybe you don't have to do the MFA dance every time. Maybe you only have to do it when you're outside of, you know, a, a normal, uh, a normal location or, or something sure. where you in. like, there's different things that we can do to, to, to have compassion for the users. But uh, there's, there's a lot we can do within the organization as a system still uh, working, working cross-functionally. If we can just earn that trust, with the different functional groups and they understand that we're there to help them. Uh, it's, it's huge. Like we need to start thinking more like the COO does in, in companies that have to deal with entire systems of supply chains and production and distribution and all that kind of stuff. Like if we start looking at the organization as systems at the way the COO does, it gets easier. So that's actually a, a bit of a good segue into my last question for you then. Um, you know, again, talking a lot about some pretty high level leadership stuff here, right? I mean, these are, these are conversations and I, things that, you know, in, in larger organizations, they're the things that our, our executives and senior leaders are thinking about. Um, so tying it back again now with that, that small business mindset, or even just, you know, somebody who's newer in their career and looking to kind of progress, what is, what's the one piece of advice you would leave them with that 
you know, you'd want them to take from this as far as how they can move forward and start building some of this when maybe they don't have the influence of being a, a CISO or a, you know, a director or a high level leader yeah. of some fashion. It's, it really is difficult when you're the C, you accidentally become the CISO. Um, because when that happens, almost never is that person at the right place in the org to be fully effective. Like, it, you know, the, the person doesn't accidentally become the CISO and they're already board reporting. Like, I, that just doesn't really happen. Um, what happens is you have a manager or a director, you know, down in the company, you know, a step, two steps, three steps down into the company that, that has to now figure out how do I, how do I build this program? And to be effective, like it, it really looking at the organization as a system is a part of it. And the other piece is, is building those relationships with the other stakeholders in the org that are going to uh, be the ones that have to do a lot of the implementation work or who, who are going to be directly impacted with it and that you need to understand what they're doing in order to implement uh, these controls well. So as a, somebody who's just coming into it, we as technical uh, individual contributors tend to look more, I guess, vertically, sort of like we, we're, we're used to staying in our, in our vertical, our technical vertical. But when you start looking at trying to build a security program, like you have to start looking horizontally across the entire system. And that is one of those areas that's really difficult, I think, for technical people to take off their technical hat and step away from, you know, because most of us get into it because we're passionate about technology and we're fascinated by technology and we love to, and we, and every problem can be solved with technology and we want to play with technology. But at the end of the day, like none of that technology exists except to serve the business when you're in the business. Like if you're in your home lab, you can play with technology for the sake of technology, but like in business, it, it has to serve the business. And the only way you're going to be able to, to get out of that is, is to get your head kind of up above and, and out of the weeds, uh, the technical weeds, and and stop thinking about the, the technology specifically for its own sake and look at the technology as how does it serve the business and vert and horizontally across to, to those those groups and how am I going to serve this person? And and there's a lot of the the a lot of security controls that that will implement they're not technology, they're process-based. And maybe there's a tool or something somewhere that supports that process. But at the end of the day, most of what we do is people and process and, and business and maybe 25% technology. So that's, I think my my advice to folks that are looking to come in up into this is to you know, start, if you've got a good grasp on the technology already, start studying business, you know, business blogs, other types of things like that. Um, look, you know, start studying uh, process management, process improvement, some of the continuous improvement stuff. Like we're used to seeing a lot of it in, in Scrum and Agile at this point. Uh, you know, so, so it's, you know, process improvement, continuous improvement is not foreign to a lot of technical people now, but just understanding that stuff and how to approach the, the problems and get to root causes and, and fix those at a business and process level, not just a technical level is, is huge. 
Yeah, so Frank had a comment in there while you were talking that I thought matched up really well with what you were saying at the time. And that was, you know, you were talking about this horizontal, working horizontally. And, you know, Frank mentions that that what we hear too often in security is that we're too busy just doing the tactical to think strategically and try to make things better. And that's where I think that working horizontal can be yeah. your your best ally as you start creating sponsors within the business across you know different business lines, different silos that exist. Those sponsors that you find when you get their buy-in and you get them and they want to see you succeed can offload a lot of that extra labor. So I think that that was an awesome point there. And I agree with you totally about, uh, you know, if you want to move up, you want to get into your leadership within cybersecurity. Yeah. Learning the business side can just be invaluable. And that, that too busy to make things better too is another, and it haunted me when I first was doing it. Like it was a tough, tough thing. You know, Frank mentioned mentioned and echoed in here too. This this is a hard shift to make that tactical to strategic thinking. But that strategy is the important part is when you when you change your thinking to your governance is strategic. It's not a framework of a list of things you have to do. But if you start thinking about this is our strategy of how we're going to do this and how we're going to make decisions and how we're going to make the company better and take us towards our other business goals and, and help us achieve those things it gets easier than to start prioritizing on these. And so when you have everything all at once that, you know, everything's top important, you know, super important, everything's number one priority than nothing is. And that's that's where you fall into that trap of, you, you know, all these things you should be doing and you don't have the bandwidth to do them all. And at some point you have to let some of the balls drop. You can't juggle them all. At some point you have to let something drop and say, you know what, these two things are not as important as this other thing. We have to go do this first to lay this foundation and then we'll come and pick these other things up and, and we'll continue to build. But, you know, it's not something that could be all done. You know, building a, a security program for, you know, to get ready for SOC 2 starting from scratch or to get ready for something like High Trust or ISO 27001. I mean, those are 12 to 18 month projects easy. They don't all happen in a week or like you have to prioritize those things. And the, the strategy is, is a huge, huge part of that. And, and by stepping back and, and being truly able to then prioritize strategically so that it's not, you know, we're too busy to make things better. And that's, that's how you do it. But, but you got you to gotta start at the beginning and build out. Otherwise, you have nothing to inform those decisions from a strategic point. And, you, and, and if you haven't gotten the buy-in from leadership on the framework and the governance first, it makes it really hard to get the buy-in for everything else because you don't have anything to point back to to say, this is why we're doing this. I'm proposing this endpoint tool, or I'm proposing that we bring in a SOC for 24-7 monitoring for a reason. And it's this reason because it aligns with our strategy that we have committed to doing. Yeah. So that's, yeah, it's... Uh, and, and I appreciate that so much. And honestly, unfortunately, right now, I've got to let a few of the balls drop because I feel like I got about 100 more questions I could ask you, but we've run out of time. Um, so we do have to wrap it up. But thank you, AC, so much for, uh, for joining us. Um, really, this is... These are the kind of conversations we want to get to. I want to make sure that we're, we're drawing it out, that, that 
that need for the connection and, and bringing in, you know, maybe the voices that aren't those senior leaders to kind of see what the conversations are and what the attitudes are that are, are making a lot of these decisions. So keep joining us. We'll be back here every week. Um, Accidental CISO, thank you so much for being here this week. Next week, we've got Jules O'Kofer, who's going to be here with us. Two oh, wow. weeks from awesome. now, you heard AC mention his name earlier. I know uh, ITSP was in the in the chat mentioning this too, but Wolfgang Garlic will be here on this show in two weeks. So be sure you keep checking back. Remember, the podcast version of this will be available in a couple days on the ITSP Magazine website. Uh, AC, thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was this was fantastic. I enjoyed it. It was fun, and we've got a heck of a lineup coming up. So I encourage everybody to listen to the next few episodes. There's two more of my favorite people coming up. Yeah, I, I can't believe how fortunate I've been so far, and I'm looking at the schedule going forward. And it, it's just it, it's spectacular. A lot of great guests coming up, and and some surprise guests too. I think you're going to see in coming weeks we're going to have some folks on here that maybe you wouldn't have connected with some of the discussions that we're having. So. Stick around, join us every week. For now, we got to get out of here, but we'll see you again real soon on Securing Bridges. Thanks, Alyssa. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSBmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.